The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank you for that. Take your Bibles with me this morning, please. Let's go to 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we've been studying here on Sunday mornings uh, through this book of 1 Corinthians. We understand that the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to this church and this body of believers in the city of Corinth. And uh, as he's doing so, we've seen already that in the first part of chapter 1, he strives to reset their their focus and attention back onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he offers up a, a prayer of praise and gratitude unto the Lord for uh, who they are and what the Lord is doing in their life already uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle part of there of chapter number one. But then the Apostle Paul takes some time and begins to discuss and to address some issues that have, have unfortunately crept into this church. There were some divisions among them and some contentions. And so Paul is going to use his time to be able to address those matters, to strive to encourage them to correct them and to kind of reset their heart and focus on what matters most. And we've seen uh, already the things that were kind of causing them that division and that contention as well. And uh, in chapter number three, a couple weeks ago, as we got into the beginning verses of it, we began to realize that part of the reason why they were focused on all the wrong things was just simply to state a, 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 an immaturity problem, right? And the Paul said, hey, I'd love to be able to talk, the, talk about the Word of God with you and, and teach you more deep things about uh, the things of God. Unfortunately, you're still like babes or, or, or babies uh, Christian-wise, uh, uh, believer-wise. And uh, where I wanted to feed you meat of the Word of God, I had to feed you with the milk of the Word of God. And he's encouraging them to set aside their childish behaviors and to begin to allow the Lord to grow them and yield to the Lord so that they might be able to be developed into who God would desire for them to be. Now, one of the immaturities, uh, states of immaturity that they were going through was the fact that it was being exemplified or, or, or shown uh, through their selfishness and through the fact that they were segmenting the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is going to take some time in these verses this morning to encourage them in the matter of teamwork so that the Lord's power could work through them and that, that, he might, that, that the synergy might be able to take place amongst them that could only take place as they worked together. And so as we consider this thought of how teamwork makes the dream work, we're going to look at verses 6 through 15 and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and read with me in verse number 6. It says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another man, another buildeth thereupon, uh, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon." For other foundation can no man lay that than that is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. 
Now, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, we ask that you just bless our time and your word, that you'd guide us through your spirit, that you'd give me the words to speak as I deliver it. And Lord, help us to honor and glorify you in all that is done. Would the truth of your word impact our hearts so much this morning that we would walk away doers and not just hearers only. Lord, help us to, to strive to yield to you, to surrender to your work and your way, and work together as a, as a corporate body here that we might be able to accomplish your will, accomplish your ways uh, like none other. Lord, we ask that your will, will would be accomplished here in our lives this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an old Peanuts cartoon where Linus was in the living room watching the TV, and here comes Lucy. And Lucy says, hey, give me that remote. I want to watch something else. Linus says, what makes you think that I ought to give you uh, the remote? Well, Lucy says, these five fingers. He said, what are those five fingers going to do, for, to, do, do to me? She bundled up, up in a fist, as you see there on the screen, and said, I'm going to knock you out if you don't give me that, uh, that remote. To which Linus says, okay, here, you can have it. When Lucy walked away with the remote and changed the channel, Linus looked at his five fingers and said, why can't you guys get together like hers? The truth of the matter is, when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to us as believers, we sometimes are guilty of acting like Linus's fingers individually instead of coming together as Lucy's did for a one corporate unit. That was the case truly here for the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was busy focusing on who they were with and whose, whose party they were with and such, what they could accomplish in their own wisdom and, and singular thought and such. And it was causing contentions. It was causing division. Work that could be done and should be done was not getting accomplished and was not being done like it should have been. And so Paul is calling them to renew their heart into realizing that it's not about an individual, but it's about Christ and how Christ can work in a group of people and, uh, and develop greater synergy in that way than in, in any other. Now, Paul here is asked in verse number six, or he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We found in uh, verse number five, he asked the question, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? What he's asking here is he's, he's saying, hey, listen, you've assigned value to these men and by, because of who you associate with in these men, you've assigned particular value to you as well. But let me ask you, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? And he answers it clearly that they're just messengers, they're just servants, and as we used a couple of weeks ago, just couriers of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what, what's, the problem was is that as they said, well, because I'm of Paul and if Paul's a great individual and all the work of the ministry is because of Paul's work in our life, then that means that anything done because of them would be great also. But Paul says, hey, listen, humbly, let me tell you, I'm just a servant of God. I'm no one special. He says, hey, listen, if you focus everything on Apollos and, if, and what was accomplished was because of him and, and because you're a part of his group, then that makes you better than ever. No, no, humbly let me say, no, we're just messengers. We're just servants of God. The thing, the fact of the matter is, though, is that anything that is accomplished isn't because of the talents of people, isn't because of a grouping of people even, but it's because of God's power working through them. 
And so he was telling them that their mindset was a fleshly, worldly way of thinking. He, in fact, he, he says there in uh, the first part of the, of the chapter, he says, listen, you're carnal. He says, you're fleshly. You're not focusing on what matters most. So he says that he and Apollos and anyone else are just simply mere servants through whom God would work and bring his will to, to pass. So the Lord was the one who gave these individuals in Corinth the opportunity. The Lord was the one who gave these individuals in Corinth the ability to believe and to have his gospel message. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't all of his great oratory. It wasn't Apollos and all of his wisdom. It was God that was accomplishing the work. But he did it, he says, through the, through the, through the work that he worked through Paul and of Apollos. See, Paul, Paul and Apollos were just messengers or the means by which the work was accomplished. But it is not the means, but the master that needs to be the focus. And so Paul is addressing their focus on the master. He's addressing their desire to be able to work together as well. And Paul says that he and Apollos are like just, the, as I mentioned already, the couriers, the delivery people of the work of God. And my friends, I'm here to tell you this morning as we've already discussed, that there's much more that can be accomplished when we work together than if we just try to work singularly. But aren't we so guilty sometimes of trying to only want to get the glory for ourselves? See, well, there's the problem in and of itself, that our focus is getting the glory instead of giving the glory to God. Because if it's not about me and me getting the glory or getting the honor or getting the recognition for what is done, but I simply care about God getting the recognition, then guess what? It doesn't matter who works alongside of me. It doesn't matter who else is with me in this scenario. I'm willing to partner with them along the way. And so Paul, he uses a couple of different illustrations. He uses an illustration of a farmer. He uses an illustration of a builder in this portion of Scripture as well. But pointing back to the need for the church to work as a team, because everyone in the church has a part to play on the team. If you know me at all, you know that I love baseball, and you know that my favorite team is the best team, the Chicago Cubs. And uh, of course, you, uh, uh, me growing up as a Chicago Cubs fan, I've had year after year after year of disappointment, and our motto is, wait till next year. And uh, in fact, and, and we've been eliminated from the playoffs already for this season. It's, we're not going to win anything this year, but wait until next year, and uh, it'll be our year. In 2016, it was our year. But it's interesting to think about a team, isn't it? See, if a person on a team doesn't fill their role on the team, the team's not going to be very successful. It doesn't matter what group, what type of sport it is, baseball, basketball, it doesn't matter. If a person on a team doesn't fulfill their role, the team's not going to be successful. That means this, if a person on the team just sits down and says, no, I don't want to do that today, there's going to be a position on the field that's unmanned. If a person on the team says, no, I don't want to play shortstop, I want to play outfield. There's going to be a position that is unmanned. The key is playing our part. Is every part the same? No. But the key is playing our role on the team that God has assembled. And so as we've already said, the idea to this morning is that teamwork makes the dream work. And with that thought in mind, number one, notice with me the relationship of teamwork. In verses 6 through 9, the Bible says, I have planted, this is Paul speaking. He says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. See, Paul first off starts with this analogy of a farmer. And in doing so, he gives us the tasks of teamwork. We find here in verses 6 and 7, he says, I have planted and Apollos has watered, but God gave the increase. What he's saying is he's, he had planted the gospel seed. He had planted the gospel message. He'd brought the word or the gospel, the seed to the, church, to the city of Corinth. He had declared it to others. Others had trusted Christ. The church was started and established, but he wasn't the only one that had a part to play in it. Apollos was a, had a part to play in encouraging and equipping the church in their growth or even the little bit that took place there as well. And now a new faith was blossoming and later God would use Apollos to water for that new growth as well. And he's saying, listen, we all have a task to play when it comes to teamwork. Not long ago, my wife decided that I needed some greenery in my office. She said it would bring new life to my office. It would make it fresh and new. And that just meant that it gave me one other thing to worry about throughout the week, right? But uh, she got some plants and put them in there in my office. And she said, all right, just make sure you keep them watered. Okay. So I started keeping a reminder on my phone to water it and such. And I would faithfully water those plants. And then after a while, I noticed that something was not quite right. I was overwatering the plants. Literally, there was water standing in the pot. And so I took it out and I dumped the excess water out. And, and uh, somehow, by God's grace, I guess, they're still alive in my office today, right? But listen, think about a plant. If you've ever planted anything, a garden or anything like that, it starts with a seed, right? Now, if that seed is thrown on the desk, is that seed going to grow? It has to be thrown, sown in the soil. Now, if it's just put into the soil and left there, is it going to grow? I mean, it's going to need some watering. It's, and if the soil isn't the right type of, you know, type of soil, and if it's too rocky or whatever, it's not going to be able to take root and those types of things. And so there's all, there's all kinds of things that go into having a successful growth of that plant or a successful garden. Paul says this when it came to the spiritual matters of the church. Hey, I planted. That was my part that I played. Apollos watered. That was his part that he played. But listen, the, the success of the plant was not because of me planting it. The success of the plant was not because of Apollos watering it. But no, the success was because God gave the increase. He says, listen, I could have planted and planted and planted. And Apollos could have watered and watered and watered. I watered a lot with my plants, right? He could have watered and watered and watered. But the increase doesn't come because of my talents or because of my efforts. The increase comes because of God. God gave the increase. Now, what does it look like to be a planter in the church? Well, it might be, if we just use it in a general terms, it might be that you're an usher. It might be that you're a greeter. It might be that you're a teacher. What does it mean to be a waterer? It might be that you go out on weekly visitation and soul winning. It might be that you are uh, singing in, in the choir. It might be that you're doing something else, but each part has a different role. But whatever is good that is accomplished in this church is not because I got involved in it. It's but because God gave the increase. He desires to work through us. 
He desires to use us as his tools to be able to accomplish his work and his will. But we've got to take ourselves out of the equation and think that we've done anything to make it happen. The moment we think that the good things that are happening in the church is because of us is the moment God will quickly humble us. We've got to understand that it is not because of my talent. And here's another thing that I love about this as well. That since everyone has their own part to play, but it's not up to our ability in the part that we play, but it's that God gives the increase, that means I don't have to have it all together for us to see good things happen. I don't have to be a know-it-all for God to still, be, to, for God to still bless. I might not know it all, but He knows everything. And so I, can, I, I just have to get along for the ride. And let the Lord work and, and bless in that way. See, he says God's responsible for the, the results. And that's exactly what he says at the end of verse, seven, verse number 7. When he says, but God gives the increase. But not only do we see the tasks in teamwork. The fact that we all have a part to play. And God ultimately is responsible for the outcome. But not only do we see the tasks of, of teamwork. But we also see the togetherness of teamwork. Because as we move on and begin reading in verses 8 through 10, he says that now he that planteth and he that watereth. So who's the planter in, the, in this illustration? It was Paul, right? Who was the waterer in the illustration? It was Apollos. He says, he that planteth and he that watereth are what, church? They're one. But isn't planting and watering separate tasks? Yes. But he says, even though they're separate tasks, they are necessary to work together in order for the results to be what they ought to be. That's the way God has chosen for it to work. And God has chosen the work in that way. And so therefore, when I do my part, and you do your part, and God gets in the mix of everything, the result is going to be success. Everything that God does is good. Think back to creation. He looked out through all everything, and day one, and day two, day three, day four, day five, all so on and so forth. And every time he looked at it, he said, it is good. And listen, my friends, everything that God does is good. And when he gets involved and he starts working through our lives, good things happen. And so, my friends, we find that the tasks of, uh, of teamwork, we all have a part to play. We find that as we all have our own individual part to play, let us do it together. Let us do it as a team. Notice with me, number two, the requirements of teamwork in verse number 10 and 11. The requirements of teamwork, he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For another foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, notice Paul says in verse number 10 that our working is not according to our knowledge, our working is not according to our talents. Our working is not according to our abilities. He says in verse number 10, according to the what? Grace of God. God pours out His grace and His power. Now, what is grace? Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. So how could our work for the Lord be empowered by our abilities if it's something we don't deserve? Because listen, God's grace being poured out, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we are, are talented or knowledgeable or wise, but because God has chosen to work in such a way. 
And it's by His grace that He works through us. And as I plant and as you water, or as, we, as you plant and as I water, and God pours out His grace upon us to accomplish that work, we're going to see great things take place. But notice the caution here. Notice the caution in teamwork in verse number 10, at the very, very last of the verse. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, the caution here is this, that while God desires to pour out His grace on us, we can spoil His grace. We can trample His grace. We can choose not to respond to His grace and His equipping and His empowering. It'd be like if you got a check in the mail one day for a million dollars. Wouldn't that be a sweet surprise, right? Open up the mailbox and boom, there it is. Check, one million dollars. But you have a choice. You either take it to the bank and cash it and enjoy the blessings of the, of the check that you just received, or you can reckon it as a lie and send it through the, sh- the shredder, tear it up and say, no, nobody would give me a million dollars. It's your, your choice to do with what you please. Now, what I'm saying this morning is God's grace is greater than a million dollars. And He wants to pour it out on us. He wants, to, he, he wants to extend His grace to us to accomplish His will, to accomplish His work. But can we not be guilty of saying, no, I don't want it? Oh, absolutely we can. We can he, he's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. And we can, we can be guilty to say, no, I'd rather do it my way. I don't want what you have for me. I'd want to do it my way. And so there's a caution in this teamwork that, hey, we could even build, but build it in, build incorrectly, build of our own will, build of our own desires, because he says, take heed how, how he buildeth thereupon. We see this caution in this teamwork, and, and we find that he says uh, there in, in verse number 10, he says uh, that, uh, I, uh, that Paul, he's laid the foundation and that others have built on that, but it's God that orchestrates it all. He's the wise master builder. We've got to understand that as we continue to work in what God is establishing, that we're going to stand before him one day. Second Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, I'm thankful this morning that when it comes to my salvation and my eternity in heaven, it is not based on anything that I do or don't do. It's based on completely what Christ has already done. But when it comes to my service for the Lord, What I do for him today and what I've done for him yesterday, what I do for him tomorrow, he's going to look and he's going to look at my life and he's going to say it was either done for myself or in complete desire for him and by his power and by his his equipping. We're going to have to stand before him in that way. And that's why Paul reminds them of the Christ in teamwork in verse number 11. It says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. See, the gospel message and the work of the Lord is the foundation of everything we do as Christians. We ought to allow the Lord to equip and accomplish all that He would want to accomplish. But listen, He is the wise master builder. And if He is not the centerpiece, then what we are trying to accomplish is is in vain. What we're trying to accomplish is not worth accomplishing in the first place. But notice with me, lastly, as we've seen not only the relationship of teamwork 
And not only have we seen also the requirements of teamwork, but thirdly, notice the rewards of teamwork in verses 12 through 15. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, notice the list he gives here. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, uh, shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, we've already seen that there's some reward that uh, has been mentioned. For instance, we find the promise of reward back in verse number eight. We recognize that as we read earlier. We've already had some precautions concerning this reward as we look there in verse number 10 on how we would take heed on how we would build upon. But notice here in verse number 12, the performance for reward now. And verse number 12 says, For if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. I want you to understand this morning that the Lord has blessings and He's got a plan that He wants to pour out on us right now. And He's got blessings and He's got rewards He wants to pour out on us later on as well in eternity. But notice how He says it's going to be judged whether or not the work we've done is worthy of that reward. He says, as you accomplish that work and as you do so, it's going to be tried by fire. And if that work that you had been, have done, if that, found, if that building that you built upon that foundation is built up by gold and silver and precious stones, then it's going to stand the test of time is what he's saying. Now, listen, listen, listen. When we consider building, gold, silver, and precious stones are probably not the first materials we think about when it comes to building. Now, we know heaven has a street of gold, but I can tell you that underneath this carpet is not gold. I promise you that, right? We don't normally think about building in that type of way. I know there's some extravagant places that have those type of materials used, used and all that. But in the everyday, normal building of, of, of structures, we don't think about using gold and silver and precious stones as the main thing. But when he uses this as an illustration or an example, what he's saying is the worth and what, what is being built is right, that the strength or, or how it is sustained, is, it, it, it's going to sustain the test of time as well. He said, but on the other hand, if, if, if what you're trying to build in your life, if what you're trying to build in the church isn't focused on me, like gold, silver, and precious stones, but if it's instead focused on self, focused on our own will, focused on our own ways, it's as if you're building with wood, hay, or stubble. Now, that's a little more along the lines of what we think of when it comes to building structures today. For instance, comparatively speaking, wood's pretty, in, you know, pretty cheap compared to gold and silver and precious stones. Now, if you've ever been to Lowe's recently, you know that wood's pretty expensive right now. I understand that. But what I'm saying is it's compared, comparing to, to gold or silver, it's not as valuable. So what Paul is saying that is when we build our life on things that aren't of eternal value, when we build our life on what we care about instead of what God cares about, it's like building with wood. What happens to wood? Eventually it rots. What happens to wood? Eventually termites start eating it. What happens to wood? It kind of decays. What happens to wood, hay, and stubble if fires spark next to it? It burns up. And so what he's saying is that the performance for that reward is going to be based off of why we served in the first place. When we served, was it for the Lord? 
When we served, was it for His honor? When we served, was it for His glory? The choices that we made in our life, was it to follow His will? Or was it on the flip side? Was it for self? Was it selfish reasons? Was it in pride? Was it for our own desires and wills? And that will determine whether or not the reward is given. And notice the proving of it. He goes on in verse number 13 even, the proving of that reward. He says, every man's work shall be made manifest. That's what he's saying, that it's going to be proven, it's going to be shown. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, in the Bible, fire often is used to uh, be a, a source of proving or reckoning, if you may. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27 that it's appointed on the man once to die, and after this, the judgment will all stand before God one day. We understand that. And, uh, but, uh, but when it all is said and done, he's going to judge whether or not what we did was for him or for self. And, and all of the kidding of ourselves that we do, all the games that we play, all of the things that we say, oh yeah, I'm doing this for the Lord, it's going to be revealed whether or not it's true or not. You can lie to yourself and you can lie to your spouse and you can lie to everyone else in this, in this room here today, but God already knows why you're doing what you're doing. God already knows if what, if what we're doing is for Him or if it's for some show. And we might fool everyone in the here and now, but you're not fooling Him on Judgment Day. And He's going to stand there and He's going to prove it's going to be made manifest. And notice the, the possessing of the reward as we look at verses 14 and 15. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So what he says is if, if in the end, when I look and when we judge what has taken place, if what was done was for me, if it was in yieldedness to me, if it was for my purpose and for my will, reward will be given. But look at verse number 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. When he judges and realizes that what was done was because of selfish motives or selfish, selfish reasons, that reward will be lost. You say to me, preacher, I come to church every Sunday morning. Isn't that good enough? Only God can say. Only, only God knows why you're sitting in the pews here today. If you're sitting here in the pews today because it's just what you do on Sunday morning, I don't, we, you have to ask yourself, is it for God or is it for my routine? If, if, if in the place that you serve, if it, is it for God or is it so that you get the accolades by, from man today? It all comes down to the Lord knows our heart. He knows our motives, and he's going to give rewards to those who do it purely and do it for him and build with gold and silver or precious stones as he puts it. But if it's by wood, hay, and stubble, the works will be burnt up. We've received our rewards here on this earth by the applause of men and the things that we've accomplished through that. So simply what is being said here is we could be the most successful person in this world. We could be a business owner. We could have a fortune in the bank. We could have all the followers on social media and everyone know our name. But that doesn't mean that what we're doing is bringing honor and glory to God. We, we, can, be that, we can be the star. That's, that seems to be the main thing in, in pro sports today anymore, isn't it? The superstar on the team not, no longer focusing on the team sport aspect, but getting the best of the best. And it doesn't matter if we win any championships, we just got the best player on our team. Uh, I think the Lakers have shown that recently, right? But uh, what I'm saying here this morning is we could be the shining superstar in all of Christendom, if we wanted to put it that way. But that doesn't amount to a hill of beans 
What matters is whether or not what we've done, no matter how big or how small, has been for the honor and glory of our Lord. And I've, I've used that term a couple of times already, synergy, today. That is just the simple thought of when, when forces combine, there's, it's able to accomplish more than just one singular act in and of itself. And what we find here is that the church had segmented itself. I'm of this group, or I'm of this group, or I'm, I'm the one that needs to be followed because I'm the wise one here. And, and Paul's trying to help them to understand that, yes, we all have a part to play, but the parts we play all combine as one for the honor and the glory of God. I'm here to tell you this morning that no part in this church, no position in this church, no place of service in this church is more important than any other. And you have a part to play. You have a role to fill. And the Lord has a desire to work your, your, His plan in and through you. I'll, I'll illustrate it like this as I close. How many of you have ever played with Legos before? Raise your hand if you played with Legos. Don't admit it, all right? <laughs> don't be a, a, this old adult and like, I don't play with Legos. I still play with Legos, all right? So, but you know what I'm talking about, Legos. I got a Lego brick here, all right? This Lego brick, it's going to represent me. Now, I put that Lego brick right there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a work of art, isn't it? Just one Lego brick by itself isn't that special, is it? It really doesn't accomplish much. But when you take a Lego brick and combine it with other Lego bricks of all types of sizes and all types of colors and all types of shapes and all types of purposes, and when you put it all together, it can make something amazing. Now, this isn't the most amazing Lego set I've ever held in my hands. But a while back, I went to San Antonio and visited the Alamo and brought back a Lego set for Cade as a gift of the Alamo. And that one Lego brick that I held in my hands, when combined with others, makes a model of the Alamo. Now, what I'm saying is this, is I can do everything that I do all by myself and boast about being something special, but I've not accomplished very much. Does that mean that the Lord's blessings can't be given? Oh, He can work even in the selfishness that I, that I exhibit. He can, he can do things even outside of the fact that, that I'm trying to do it for the wrong motives at times. Even Paul said it that way, right? In Philippians, he said, listen, if the gospels rejoice, even if it's in pretense, I, I rejoice in it, right? But he said, but listen, what Paul's trying to get them to understand here at Corinth is if we all work together, the outcome that God can bring is greater than if we do it all alone. And this morning, as, I, as we consider that, realize that you have a part to play in the plan that God has here. You say, well, it's not that important. Maybe you've thought it yourself, or maybe you've heard other people say a phrase similar to this. Well, if I'm, if I'm not there, no one will miss me. And there, that, nothing could be further from the truth than that. Because just like we mentioned earlier, if a baseball team fields, takes the field and there's no catcher, it's not going to be a very good game. If there's no center fielder, hey, can the, can the two corner outfielders, can they chase the ball down? Sure. Are they going to be as successful as if the whole team was there? No. 
And so, so for us to have this attitude of I'm not needed is totally unbiblical because God has a desire to use you. For us to have the uh, attitude of I'm all that God's, God needs is also unbiblical. Because while I might water or a plant and while another might water, we're all one. And God has the desire to get the glory because He's the one who brings the increase. Maybe you're here this morning and we've been talking about God's plan for our lives and His work in our life and His power to equip us and all of that. And all of that seems a little foreign to you because you don't even know Christ as your personal Savior. Let me just express to you this morning that Christ loves you. In fact, He loves you so much that He died for you. And he gave His life so that you might be able to have life eternally. He did, he expressed that and demonstrated that in the fact that he died on the cross of Calvary for us. He was buried, but he didn't stay there. He rose again. And he did it just for you. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for whosoever shall, I'm sorry, that uh, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He died for you and he died for me so that we might be able to live with him eternally. And if you don't know him as your personal savior today, if you've never been born again, I want to extend that invitation for you to know him as your savior today. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, as we uh, get ready to have a time of invitation with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I am saved. I know that heaven is my home. And if I were to die today, I know that I'd spend eternity with my Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Would you just give a testimony to that by slipping your hand up and right back down, just testifying, yes, I know Christ is my Savior. Praise the Lord for that. Hands all across the auditorium. You can put your hands down. I wonder, though, if there would be anyone here to be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that Christ is my Savior, that I've ever been born again. I don't know that heaven is my home. I want to embarrass you. I want to call you out or anything like that, but I want to pray for you this morning. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, could I pray for you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you here today? Anybody like that? Then one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. All that's settled. But as we've considered the Word of God here today, again, I'm reminded that I have a part to play in this, this work for God. I have a part that he has, wants to work through me. My part's not better than anyone else's, and my part isn't any less, any less significant than anyone else's either. But God gets the glory when he gives the increase from a well-fashioned team. Who here today would say, Pastor, pray with me that I would just be yielded to the Lord to accomplish his work, to, to fulfill my role in the plan that he has. Could I pray with you this morning? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. When I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And if you'd like to come forward to the front here, kneel at the steps as an altar, you're welcome to. Maybe right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart in humility unto the Lord and say, Lord, use me as you see fit. I'm surrendering and yielding my heart and life to you, however you see to choose and choose to use it today. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that guides us. We thank, you th we thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand. And Lord, I ask now that you would just uh, work in our hearts and our lives in a way that only you can. Help us to see the, the need uh, to, and, the, and your desire for us to serve you. Help us to recognize the importance of every role and every aspect. And that you can use each and every one of them together as one to accomplish your great will. Lord, would you have your will in your way, and uh, would you speak to hearts as only you can? We ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As the piano plays this morning, if the Lord spoke into your heart and you'd like to come to the front, you're welcome. We're right there in your seat. Would you humbly lift up your heart unto the Lord and uh, just respond as he's spoken to you through his word today. that you were with us here this morning. Pray that the Word of God was a blessing to your heart and guidance to you today as well. Uh, we're going to be dismissed with prayer. I'll be out in the lobby. Love to be able to shake your hand and greet you today, especially if you're one of our guests. Thank you so much for being a part of our services uh, today. Glad to be home as well with our church family as we were gone last weekend. And uh, excited to see what the Lord's going to continue to do through our church. I want to invite you back tonight, 6 o'clock, if you're able. We'll have our evening service, continue on studying through the book of Luke as well. And I just pray that the Lord will just bless our time together uh, and uh, whatever He has for us this afternoon as well. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings as uh, as we're dismissed. And, but just why don't you go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to dismiss us this morning, please. Lord, thank you for your blessings and service, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to apply what, what was given to us, Lord. Just bless everybody as we go out. Uh, keep us safe and bring us back tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.